we built something people wanted, we're growing, we've proven that we can scale that adoption. And now this next set of checkboxes is like, okay, can you monetize this? And then can you scale that monetization and revenue? This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. We have today Adi of Supertokens. He's the co-founder of the company and open source project. Adi, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Eric, for having me. Happy to be here. Adi, we met just, what was it, a week ago, and this was, yeah. or a couple weeks ago, and this was like three weeks after my baby was born. This is the first show we're recording post-paternity. Excited to be back at it. Congratulations on, on, on the paternity leave and on being back. And you're doing some traveling, is that right? I'm actually moving. So I'm, I'm, I'm from India, but I'm currently moving to, the, to, to SF. So I'm in the middle of that move. I actually just got my immigration visa and all of that approved a few days ago. So I'm excited for that move. Well, hopefully most of the bureaucracy is behind you and you can get onto the fun yeah, stuff. Most, most. So, <laughs> but yeah, most, but. good. <laughs> Yeah. So Super Tokens is interesting. Maybe we should frame this. I, I want to give you just a minute to kind of give us the elevator pitch, you know, 30 seconds on what Super Tokens is. Well, let's, let's do that now. And then I have some questions about the concept. Yeah. So Super Tokens provides open source user authentication. So, you know, you're a developer, you're building an app, you want users to be able to sign up, you need to build the sign up screen, let them reset their passwords, verify their email IDs, and a whole host of other features. That's essentially called user authentication. And instead of you having to build that out, you can just implement a solution like ours and you can have it out of the box in, in 10 minutes. And there's a handful of companies yeah. and, and open source projects doing this, which is really surprising. You know, I, I want to say it's surprising, but it certainly tells us that there's a lot of dissatisfaction with developers with the status quo. Yeah. You know, Austereo kind of pioneered this market. And then folks are still like, no, it's, I need more. I need something else. You have hit a chord. There are, you know, 3,000 people in your Discord. You've got 8,000 GitHub stars. Things are growing quickly. Tell us what exactly is happening that makes this kind of interesting, despite there being so many alternatives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so there are a couple of things, I think, about super tokens. I mean, you're right. There are lots and lots of alternatives. Like, it's a huge market. Authentication is is pretty big, so I can I can understand why there are a lot of people competing. But at this point, even I'm sometimes surprised. Um, but um, I think there aren't actually that many on the open source side that are doing well. It's actually just two or three. So on the open source side, like if, if open source is like something that's important, if the ability to self-host is important and everything else that open source brings, you don't actually have that many options. There's a few other things about super tokens that makes it more attractive is that we integrate very natively into your product. Our front-end UI sits natively to your website as opposed to like, for example, with Auth0, it being a redirect to Auth0's domain and then being a redirect back to your website. All of our front-end is native to your website. And similarly, all the back-end auth logic is native to your back-end APIs. So if you're coding in Node or Golang or Python, all of our auth logic resides there. So any changes you want to make, any custom logic you want to add or inject, is all native to your code base as opposed to, again, going to all zeros, web editor, and uploading that JavaScript there. So I think, like you said, right, like there's clearly demand for authentication providers. And the reason we think that is because like Auth0 is a great product, but with the benefit of hindsight, you can sort of see that you're giving up control if you're implementing authentication in, in multiple ways. And we essentially try and solve that. Like we want to be the best of both the build and buy argument, be very quick to implement off the shelf, but 
as good as as if you'd built it yourself. Is it fair when you when you say it's native to your front end client or your back end endpoint? Does that mean it's deployed as a library as opposed to a service a SaaS product? You know, when I think of a library, it sounds a little difficult to monetize, but awesome maybe for users and for the open source. Is that a correct way to think about it? Yes, it's so it's it's sort of hybrid. So like the library is on the front end, there is a library on the back end. It is SDKs, but yes, you're right. Like in the sense that they're they contain a lot of the logic and code. But to use that, you still need a layer that persists data into the database, and that is the core service. So the front end will talk to the back end, and then the back end still needs to talk to the database. So that talks to the super token score, which then persists data in the database. And that part is either managed or self-hosted or or whatever it is. Awesome. And open source certainly is valuable. And then this native elements are also valuable. And, and part of the reason maybe both of them are valuable is that it allows you a lot more control over the user experience or you, you can build a kind of custom workflows. Is that right? And, and maybe tell us a bit about that. Correct. Absolutely. That's definitely it. And then like, like a lot of B2B companies want to deploy on their customers' infrastructure, right? So again, that's just not possible with a lot of other solutions. And then there's the stuff that everyone claims, which is like DX and documentation and all of that stuff, right? Which everyone says they're the best at. So, you know, we put a lot of effort into documentation and into getting started quickly. Like we've built a lot of custom tooling for DocuSaurus. That's something that I think, like we have the metrics to prove that it's working. Yeah, no, certainly. Yeah, you, you don't get that many users and enthusiasm without pretty good experience. Adi, I want to jump into kind of your story and the story of SuperTokens and, you know, what inspired you to get started on this and how did it happen? Yeah, I mean, my story is a little bit extended. You know, obviously, like, I, I wasn't exposed to tech growing up. I wasn't sort of in the tech ecosystem at all. Like, nobody where I grew up is in tech. But but essentially, like, got it, like, got studied mechanical engineering, but, you know, through, through different things, eventually got exposed to tech, started working with tech startups when I was a student, did really well with those companies, had a brief stint in venture capital as well, started building my own company. Authentication was was a problem we had to solve. And then, you know, we typical first-time founders, over-engineering, a lot of solutions at the time. But one of the things that we really needed to solve was something called session management, which was like this subset within the authentication space. And we saw a lot of security vulnerabilities happening there, you know, like Docker, Facebook, GitLab, YouTube, Uber had all had like major session vulnerabilities. And we thought of like a really interesting way of implementing sessions. So really this all started with us writing a blog post on how sessions should be handled. And that blog post did really well. We had people from all over the world reach out and then we're like, interesting, you know, people are excited about this. And the first startup, like at that point, you know, like it was sort of an experiment. It wasn't really working out. And then, you know, we sort of like thought this was really interesting. We built it as a product. We got users. We got into Y Combinator. And then that was sort of like the real impetus for what SuperTokens is today. Like at that point before that, it was still really not user authentication. It was still not open source. It was still, you know, but after we got into Y Combinator, I think we, this is when like the whole project really kicked off and we really got a lot of insights into the overall problem space. So you were building a different company at the time. You wrote the blog post. Is that correct? Yeah, basically. This is just the pattern with infrastructure companies, it seems, is that <laughs> nobody kind of intends to start an infrastructure company. They try and build something else and, and then realize along the way that they build something of, of value. Can you summarize the blog post? Like, I mean, well, what was so interesting about it? A different approach to doing sessions? Yeah, essentially, essentially, like, so for sessions is like, you have these concepts called access token and refresh token. And with the access token, you have something either called long lived access token or a short lived access token and JOTS. So there's a, there's a couple of concepts there 
But essentially, there were like three or four major flows that everyone was implementing. And one of them was basically just a long-lived JWT, which is basically if somebody else accesses that JWT, you can access that person's account. The attacker can access that person's account without knowing their login details, without knowing their email or password, right? And there's so much security around login, but so many apps store the access token in local storage, which means any malicious JavaScript can access it. And there's just like a bunch of ways you can attack that. So we basically said the least secure is the most common flow. This is what everyone does. And then like, you know, people slowly, slowly build on top of it. And this is like the four common flows that you'll see. But what we sort of proposed was do something called rotating refresh tokens. And that'll allow you to detect session theft, right? So out of the box, we'll solve like a lot of the, like the other kinds of attacks, like CSRF, XSS, we'll protect against all of those, which you can do with any flow. But we also implement rotating refresh tokens, which will allow you to detect session theft. So if two devices are using the same session, you can actually detect that and then log out both devices. So you can guarantee that like, you know, as long as both sessions are being used, you can guarantee that like that attack is not happening. So that's sort of like what we proposed. And, and then we built, like there was a lot of edge cases and race conditions that you had to sort of factor in to do that. And we did those, we built like libraries to solve for those edge cases. One of our libraries to solve for those edge cases is actually used by Auth0 in their own implementation of rotating refresh tokens. So we, that like library has like a few hundred thousand weekly downloads. It's like on every Auth0 front-end client as well. Wow, so so you write this blog post and was was that because you were intending to kind of pivot into this infrastructure company or, or are you just trying to kind of share learnings? Yeah, uh, it was a little bit of both, I guess. There was no like sort of real clear, it was just like, let's, let's just try. We spent a meaningful amount of time writing that blog post for sure, but it, there was no like, this is going to be the company and this is, this is the problem we're going to solve for the next 10 years. It was, it was more gradual than that. Good. And so eventually with the enthusiasm of the blog post, you decided to start the company. And when, when was it clear that this would be open source and the shape it would take? I think we dabbled around with that for a while. I'd like to say that three years ago that like today open source is a lot more clearer. Like, even as recently as three years ago, it wasn't as like there wasn't as much information about it. It was already there. Obviously, you had GitLab and Docker and, and, and a few others, but it wasn't as clear. But yeah, I mean, I think we dabbled with it for a while, for a year almost. And then when we really understood all the pain points associated with auth, like you know, spoke to like at least 100 companies at different scales and stages and all these different things. And we're like, open source can actually be part of the solution. The unique architecture was one part of the insight, like the way I told you, you know, the whole native integration, that was one part of it. And then we were like, okay, open source also solves some of these problems. So, you know, with these two or three things, we think that this could be a much more compelling product. Got it. It wasn't so much we, we want to do something in open source as much as their customers wanted a solution and open source was the answer. 100%. We just didn't know much about open source before to, to, to have that thought process. And how big is is Super Tokens at the time? This is you and, and a few friends and, and you're in India at, the, at this point? Pretty much. I went and looked at the the GitHub star history and you had a big jump in in, in kind of adoption in December of 2020. And then again in March of 22, what happened at those points? Yeah. So December 2020 was when we actually launched. So before that, there was no real, like though it wasn't open source. We never announced anything. We never did anything. So December 2020 is when we did our first ever Hacker News launch for user authentication. And that did like extremely well. We At the time, we were one of the most upvoted YC companies on Hacker News, you know, more so than 
Firebase, Webflow, Hasura, we were a pretty good company on both sides. Like the companies that had, that had more upwards and less upwards were, it was a great company. So that, that's what happened in December 2020. We launched Hacker News, it did really well. Again, the repo was completely empty. It was not usable. Like supertokens.io didn't use supertokens. It just didn't work. Like it, it just didn't work for at least six months after. Like there was no like very basic features, just didn't, it just didn't exist. So it was really like a shell of a repo with like some code and, and a thesis. And the thesis resonated. So we're like, okay, now we should build this. And is this thesis the same one we heard about from the blog post or had it kind of evolved from then? Oh yeah, it definitely evolved. Like the blog post is very focused on sessions. Whereas this at this point was a lot more to do with user authentication and, and the much broader problem space as opposed to just session management. All right. So there's a lot of things around authentication that you had kind of tied together in this launch. It may not have worked, but it spoke to people. Absolutely. And then, you know, eventually it gets working. You said it was like six months until you had a real product. What happens between then and um, March 22 or, or maybe what happened in March 22? Yeah, I, I would say like a working product for the most basic use cases at that point. So it took six months to still like only be usable for developers and like pre-launch startups. Still nothing that like any like company would scale or anything that would actually use. So so the, a lot of time after that was just building, like, you know, just grinding it out, building the things you needed. Like we didn't support most of the SDKs. Like you could only use us if you used X and X tech stack, which is like very limited. So building more SDKs, building more features, like actually just making the product mature. That's what happened, for, like just grinding that out for like a year and a half. And then in March, 2022, we got featured by one of the largest YouTubers called Fireship. It's a large YouTuber for developer products. So they mentioned us as like an open source project to keep an eye out on. That video had like 600,000 views in the first few days. And um, obviously a lot of traffic came our way. Going back a bit to the initial launch, I can imagine some people thinking we shouldn't launch our open source until we have like a full product. It's really good, great user experience. How did you resolve that tension? What made you feel like it was time to launch then versus later? Just a failed startup. Like you go through a failed startup and you learn that lesson pretty deeply, which is like, you just want to validate as quickly and as much as possible. Like I really didn't want to spend time like building something that didn't resonate or that didn't have PMF or that people didn't want to use or didn't need. So the whole year, like that whole 2020 with YC and all was just trying to figure out that this is something that people actually cared about. So we did that qualitatively and privately and now we wanted to do that publicly. So, you know, now that the product's in the hands of people, it's growing quickly. What is the target uh, user look like? Who really gets, you know, the value proposition here? You mentioned B2B companies like the open source aspect, maybe folks who want a lot of control over the flow, or is it really just everybody? Like anybody on Austero should take a look at super tokens. Yeah, I, this this is like, this this is an interesting question because I've discussed this with like so many founders, like DevTool founders especially, right? And it's like, what is your ICP? Like, and, and like all of our instinctive responses is all devs building apps, right? Like it's like, but obviously like your ICP is like, is always more focused. So I think it's two sets of ICP, right? One is like a more broader general developer, early stage startup sort of ICP. And there you're just sort of focusing on providing the best experience, right? Like the best developer experience, quickest to get started. And then, you know, allows you to do a lot of like powerful things if you want to be able to do them. Like, but maybe they're not really looking at those. They don't really, in, in their first impression, they may not even notice the native integration. They may not even like sort of, you know, care about how customizable it is. And that's sort of like one ICP. And then the other ICP is sort of like your more mature companies, your mid-market, your enterprises, 
And there we see like a lot of requirement for complex use cases and, and customizations and adding custom code on the front end and back end and all of those things. And there I think the native integration and, and the entire like architecture and philosophy is a lot more valuable. The fact that it's open source adds a lot of trust and credibility. And it's great for building like trust as an infrastructure company, you know, because it's like, okay, fine, I can see the code. I can see the quality of the code. I can see, this, is this a good team? Is this not a good team? I have an exit exit door, you know, exit hatch. If anything happens, at least this level of the product is always going to be available to me. You know, if they get acquired, I always have this much accessible to set trust, right? That little bit applies to both ICPs, but applies much more on the enterprise side. Anything else, Adi, that we should cover with regard to the product? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's pretty unique, like the overall, like um, the way it works, like the architecture is pretty unique and the overall design philosophy of making every function accessible to the developer, like every underlying function. So any feature you want to build, you can build it yourself. Any customizations you want to make, anything that's going wrong with the product, you can you can sort of like debug yourself because everything, so much of it is happening within your app as opposed to like needing to ask you know, super tokens, yeah. So normally an auth solution will expose just the the five, 10 critical commands that you'd want to use, log in, log out, reset password. That's the API. And you're, you're telling me that you kind of expose a much richer API. There, there's no private methods here. No, pretty much no, right? So if you go through our backend SDK, like if you go through our API reference for our backend SDKs, right? So you'll see the major, like you said, like the five, ten major ones, right? Like create new user and and all of those. But then all the functions that they use are also exposed to you. So like maybe like if you want to un- access any of those underlying functions, like let's say for example with passwordless, right? If you're using passwordless, like the consume code, the create code, all of those functions also accessible to you. Like send email. Let's say if like create passwordless users, like the overlying feature, then you can also access all the different intermediary steps that SuperTokens does to do a passwordless account creation. So you can change any part of that. The way the emails are sent, you want to use your own email or SMS sending service. You want to change the way the code is generated. You want to change the way the code is consumed, anything, right? Like you want to add extra logic in the consumption or verification of the code. All of those things you can do. Got it. So so you built all these really um, kind of low level functions. And, and then I, I noticed on your website, you refer to these as recipes, a passwordless recipe, a social, an email login, but then also social plus passwordless, email plus passwordless. So any combination of these, you, you kind of pre-built these aggregate sets of functions. But then even after I choose one of those aggregate sets, I can go in and, and customize any any one of those functions. Exactly. And and this is really powerful. Like this is like a really powerful philosophy once people understand. Like once they do that, like once they have that first use case and they actually do it, they're like, oh yeah, like that's oh, okay, you actually expose everything to me and I can do any of this. Good. Well, maybe we'll circle back to the product. I wanted to ask you something. You're moving now from India to San Francisco. I imagine there's a lot of would-be founders, especially open source founders, who wonder, like, do I need to move to San Francisco to do a company? What would you say to them? And what, what's your experience been? It sounds like you've kind of gone quite a way while in India. So do you need to, like, with the word need highlighted, like, and emphasized, no, you don't need to. Should you? Yes, right? Like, like the startup game is a probability of success game, right? And everything is about probabilities of failure and probabilities of success. And if you want to maximize your probabilities of success, you should be here. I think if you say, do you need to be here? It becomes a debatable argument. But if you say, does it increase or maximize your probabilities of success? I don't think that's, that's debatable. So, or at least in my experience, it's not. Like, the one month here is definitely, I can definitely see value already. I mean, look at this, right? We're only, we're having this call today because 
because I was in SF, because I met you physically at an yeah. event in yeah. SF. This is just one out of the, you know, 15 outcomes I've had in the last month of being here physically. You know, I've I've gone for lunches and dinners with people. Like I now talk to someone who sold their company for four billion and you know, like I'm like constantly in touch with them on how they build their enterprise company. Multiple, multiple interactions like this all the time. And I can see this over like six months, one year, two years, really compounding. It's only been a month, but as these relationships mature over a period of time, it, it really does compound. Totally. That's interesting perspective. Switching gears yet again um, to kind of more industry trends. There's a lot of news lately around pass keys. You know, I think Google making their change to make password keys default has maybe spurred a lot of that news. What do you see as the kind of the future of authentication? Do pass keys play a role? Does that affect super tokens and Anything else we should keep an eye on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think passkeys are great. It's just a much better experience from every perspective for every single person. Like, it's a better user experience. It's better security. It's better for the developer. You don't have to sort passwords. Like, it's it's definitely beneficial from every point of view. I mean, fundamentally, you're just like validating the biometrics of the user, either the face ID or the fingerprint. Like, that's you're validating that, and then you have access without actually sending over a password to the service, right? So, I think I think it's definitely valuable in terms of like. We definitely see this playing a big role moving forward. I think the time is right for passkeys because most devices today have biometric, which may not have been the case five or 10 years ago, right? You would have to buy maybe actual additional hardware to plug into your device to do that. So five, 10 years ago, you didn't, today it's kind of default in almost every device you buy. So I think it's the right time. And how does it affect super tokens? I think this is just going to be one more recipe, as you pointed out, right? Like it's just going to be one more type of authentication method. People are still going to need to integrate passkeys. They may not want to go into all of the details of how to integrate it. And then, you know, they might want other, again, the the actual login method is, is a small subset of the overall authentication and authorization problem. You still have to do a lot of other things around the initial authentication. So I think you still, for again, simple use cases, like if you just wanted simple social sign-in, you could do that today as well easily. If you just want a simple passkeys implementation, you can probably do that easily as well, but you probably need, or you will need, or lots of companies need a lot of other things as well. And anything else on the kind of the authentication horizon to keep our eye out for? I mean, there's always a lot happening with identity. I mean, there's a there's like it's such a big space. It's such it's such an interesting space. There's always something happening. I mean, like my thing has always been interesting is like how does like physical and digital identity like sort of like interact over a longer period of time. Like today, those are two like sort of like independent systems. Your physical identity is very much government issued. With passkey is going to become device based, right? Like it's completely based on your your specific device. So how do those over time like evolve? How about authorization? I mean, I think maybe the other trend we're seeing is, you know, there's a handful of companies trying to solve, you know, post-authentication, you're in the app. Now, what permissions do you have within the app? And historically, that's all been kind of custom code. And it gets kind of wonky as, as you add features to your application. Do super tokens get involved in the authorization side of things? And whether or not it does, what do you think of this kind of market for developer tools? So we do we do some authorization today. We do have the concept of our back, which is that you as a developer can assign roles to all of your users and permission, and each role can have permissions, and then you can also assign those permissions directly to a user without assigning them a role. So we do have like some sort of an R back system in place. And again, like that's natural because a lot of like authorization. So this is like the really interesting thing about super tokens from a long-term perspective is the, the intersection between authentication and authorization happens on the session management layer, which is right like where you store the roles and you read the roles and all of that kind of stuff. And again, because of our unique architecture of only enabling front-end and back-end communication, 
we're also like we also completely handle the session layer. So there's a lot of like really interesting things that we can talk about over there. But essentially, yeah, we do some authorization. We're not as powerful as a lot of the dedicated authorization providers today. So obviously, because they're focused on those things. So for a lot of complex use cases, it still makes sense to have. And we do integrate. We we work well. We work nicely. We collaborate with a few authorization providers. We have like, you know, example apps and demo apps that we've worked with them on. So if you have complex use cases, we suggest you use one of those. But for a lot of like a lot of common use cases, SuperTokens RBAC actually works. Adi, what, what does 2023 hold for SuperTokens and anything we should keep an eye out for? monetization and up market and the the final leg of building a successful business which is i think we've proven out like a lot of like we've done a lot of the spade work and groundwork we built something people wanted we've got people adopted we're growing we've proven that we can scale that adoption so a lot of like the check boxes if you will like you know on why startups fail right we've checked and now this next set of check boxes is like okay can you monetize this and then can you scale that monetization and revenue so i think those are like the focus areas now like we've already started doing that we're releasing a lot of the mid market and enterprise features but this month like between this month and the next 3 months a lot of the really interesting like mid market enterprise features will be released the highest requested from larger companies which again we have a lot of like interesting inbound from so a lot of that will be released in the next couple of months um, will be really exciting to see how that plays out obviously our focus is always going to be on building a great developer experience that's something we'll definitely keep working on but at the moment like these features is, is something i'm personally really excited about great maybe it's kind of a dovetail that how how do people get involved are you open to outside contributions and what kind of contributions would be interesting yeah, we're, we're definitely open to outside contributions. I mean, anything on our roadmap is essentially the contributions that, like, you know, would be valuable. And then, you know, like, th- there's definitely, like, one area, if some new one's looking, if you're a front-end dev, there's definitely some improvement on the on the dashboard, on the user's dashboard stuff that we could, like, you know, so feel free to get in touch for that. And then on the back-end side, there's also plenty of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, on uh, the other contributions, more than happy, like, if someone's willing to write about the experiences using super tokens or, you know, just on, like, writing content or writing talking about like authentication or talking about the different options in authentication and those kind of things. I think always talking about the options and how things work about the industry is always something that I think we appreciate. I think the thing that has me so curious are kind of like, who are all these people? And, and you seem to have a real tight engagement with them. How do you think about community management? And, I, and I'm kind of curious if there's inspiration you take. Are there other companies who manage great communities that inspire you? Yeah. So from communities, I think the thing that like, like if I had to like say how we manage or what I'd suggest other people do is there are a couple of things we do really well, which is we're extremely good at support. My co-founder is really like, you know, absolutely incredible. He He's like online like 16 hours a day. And like like even other engineers in the team, even if they want to reply, they can't because my co-founders replied before they've even opened the message. So like my co-founder is really good at support on Discord. Like, you know, that's like a huge thing. And then like GitHub issues, like we try and like, if someone opens a PR, if someone opens an issue, if someone ha- is like using super tokens and is giving us some feedback, we'd like try and like show them that we really care about their feedback. We try and close that issue as quickly as possible. We prioritize any interactions we have with users and customers, including emails. So like that same culture of like replying quickly on Discord is now filtered into every sort of like user interaction and touch point. If I was like someone who would take a couple of hours to reply to an email or a customer email, like now it's in my mind that that becomes the most important thing for me to be doing. So I'll reply like as quickly as possible. So I think all of these things just builds like a lot of like, you know, goodwill with people. And then I think that like then just compounds and then people will tell other people that just like, you get to interact with the core team and then they will tell people that, you know, they get to interact with the core team and it's like such a great experience. And I think that like really, really helps 
with the initial challenges of building an infrastructure company. You get really real-time feedback, you get real-time production users, you get like a lot of goodwill, all of these things. Yeah, this becomes the marketing engine. It's mostly just word of mouth between satisfied developers on support. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, that's 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 one part of that's one big part of it, but not all of it. Yeah. Yeah. What about content? You know that that blog post that kind of started it all. Do you do you continue to push blog posts, and is that an important also part of the marketing? Very important. Super important. Again, we're pretty light on the GTM side, but these are the two things that really work for us: is content and word of mouth. Like we've five x SEO traffic in the last year. We think there's at least another ten x year, and then that that'll just be like an engine that then. We never have to, like, once it's done, it's like, you know, it's just compounds over years again. You don't need to actively spend effort or time or money on it. You write it once and it's something that plays out over two to three years. So again, that's something we've been doing really well since day zero. We're reaping the fruits of some of it today. We're planting the seeds for the next year now as well. Back to that inspiration point. It seems like you have figured some things out. Do you look to any other projects? It's like they're the ones that taught us how to do this or, or we want to do it kind of like they do. I think that there's certain elements that we like from different companies. Like I think... This is going to be a very common and cliched answer in a couple of years, but I think like Superbase's launch week is something that you'll see like a lot of people take inspiration from. I think they've really figured out how to talk about product and features in a way that people pay attention to. So I think Superbase launch week is definitely something. And and again, I I, I don't like I don't think we're going to be the only ones like <laughs> being inspired. But yeah, I think I think that works. And then besides that, like I think then it's just about like general learning and being aware of how everyone does different things. But yeah, just mostly that. Adi, I appreciate you telling us the story of Super Tokens. Congrats on your success thus far. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much, Eric. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.